In his famous poem called In Memoriam, the 19th century Victorian poet Alfred Lord Tennyson penned the following lines. I sometimes hold it half a sin to put in words the grief I feel. For words like nature half reveal and half conceal the soul within. Grief, Tennyson says, simply cannot be put into words. And this is often the experience that we face in our times of grief. Everybody in this room knows that, or before too long, you will come to know it. But it's not true just of times of grief. We can also be at a loss of words whenever we are confused, or whenever we find ourselves in the midst of a very severe trial, or circumstances that we would never have chosen and that we wished would be removed from us. Sometimes those circumstances can be so overwhelming that try as you might to be removed from them, you are still in them and try as you might to try to pray what ought to be done in the midst of them. You just don't know what to say and words just fail. Sometimes we simply cannot communicate what's going on inside of us. Well, that can be true in times of prayer. In a Christian's prayer life, there are those times that come where you you want to pray, and you want to pray rightly, you want to pray according to God's will, but you just don't know what to say. I mean, prayer is an amazing gift from God. It's an amazing reality that God has given us access to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's already talked about this amazing blessing in Romans chapter 5, where he says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to God through Christ as we trust Christ. Jesus himself made this even more directly apparent in John chapter 14 when he says to his disciples in verses 12, 13, and 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's amazing that we have access to God, and God's instructed us, called upon us, invited us, indeed, he's commanded us to pray. Throughout Old and New Testaments, we find these encouragements repeatedly given to us to cast all of our burdens upon the Lord, to call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. 1 Peter 5, 7, for example, encourages us to cast all of our anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. What an incredible invitation. What an amazing kindness that God would invite us to come into his presence through prayer and unburden ourselves. Yet despite the blessing, despite the access, despite the invitations, indeed even the commands, sometimes in prayer it's just hard to unburden yourself. Sometimes you just are left struggling to frame thoughts, much less to articulate words. You just don't know what to say. 
If you've been a Christian very long, this is not an uncommon experience. Life in a fallen world often leaves us perplexed and grieved and weighed down or in some way subjected to trials and sufferings such that when we try to pray, it can feel like we're trying to communicate with someone who speaks a different language and we've never studied that language and you just fail. You feel helpless. Well, in our text today, as we return to Romans chapter 8, we find the Apostle Paul addressing this very issue about Christians struggling in prayer because of our weakness. Our text is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. That's found on page 944 if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you. And I encourage you to get a copy of God's Word in front of you so that you can actually see the words that God inspired Paul to write that as we work our way through them, you'll recognize this is indeed God's Word. Throughout the 8th chapter, Paul has been talking about life in the Spirit. How the Holy Spirit works in Christians to empower us and to help us to live the way that God's called us to live. In this chapter, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of life. He is described as the one who gives life and peace to those who trust Jesus. He indwells everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, and he empowers us to put sin to death, that sin that remains in our life after we become Christians. He leads us, and he's called the spirit of adoption by Paul. He's the one that enables us to know that we really are children of God and to cry out to God, Abba, Father. This morning, we're going to see from Romans 8, 26 and 27, how this same spirit helps us in our praying. So follow along in these two verses as I read them aloud to get them before us for our study. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God's Spirit helps Christians by effectively interceding for us. Beginning in verse 18 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul has started to explain the nature of our suffering in this world in comparison with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the point that he makes is, yes, we're going to suffer, we're going to have sorrows, there are going to be difficulties in this world, but they don't begin to compare to what God has in store for us. And because of that reality that is not yet seen, but is certain, and we will one day experience, we are able to persevere through. In these verses, he also speaks about the impact that sin is having on creation itself. So he says that all creation groans together in verses 20 through 22. The recognition that the natural disasters that we have and the the way that things deteriorate in this world. What is that? That, he says, is like the groanings of a woman in labor before childbirth. He said creation groans in this way. In verse 23, he adds that along with creation, Christians groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit also groan as we await this day of redemption, this 
final consummation of our salvation. Well, now in our text, he adds to those first two groanings another reference to groaning. This groaning in conjunction with the Spirit's ministry to and in Christians through prayers. And what Paul says, and the way that he says it, tells us immediately that the Spirit helps us. The Spirit is our helper as Christians. Look at verse 26, those first couple of statements there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Likewise. Likewise, as I mentioned, this whole chapter has been about life in the Spirit, the Spirit's person, the Spirit's activities, how He works in and for Christians. And having taken that little excursus from verses 18 through 25 to focus more intimately on suffering in this world and how we endure suffering knowing what's coming in the world ahead on that day when Jesus returns, Paul now comes back to talking about the work of the Spirit. So likewise, in a similar way as he's mentioned the Spirit working in these other areas of our lives, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, there are two things that we should immediately take note about ourselves as Christians in light of the way Paul describes the Spirit's help for us. The first is that we're weak. We're weak. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about healthy Christians. And he says... Spirit helps us in our weakness. We know something about the nature of this weakness by virtue of the word that the Apostle Paul uses here. It's a word that is rather general in its scope. It's not talking about any one specific weakness we might have, but it would encompass all of our weaknesses. This is a word that would be used when you're talking about physical matters to describe how you get incapacitated by sickness or if you have an injury. Well, Paul here is not talking about our physical limitations, but rather he's talking about our spiritual weakness. And there's this general weakness that exists in our lives because we're creatures and more fundamentally because we are still sinners. He says the Holy Spirit helps us. Uh, It's a very unusual word that he uses here. It's a double compound prefix at this. He puts on a, a normal word and it's a word that suggests coming alongside someone to assist them, helping someone to finish a project in order to bring it to successful conclusion. It conjures up a picture of a man with a a big log struggling to take that log up a hill, and someone comes and helps him get it up the hill. Otherwise, it would never happen. Paul says, this is what the Spirit does. We, as children of God, We know God, we love God, we're called upon to pray to God, we've been given access to God, and so we seek to pray. But in our praying, we're weak. The Spirit, however, comes to help us in our weakness. You know, in our children's catechism that we use in this church, we have a section that says that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man, and that he has three offices that he fulfills in that mediatorial role. He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. And whenever the catechism comes to the question of explaining that, one of the questions is, why do you need Christ as king? And the answer that the children are taught to give is because I am weak and I am helpless. And what's being taught there is the very thing that Paul's 
emphasizing here. It's the very thing that is taught throughout the Scripture. Do you remember what Jesus said about this? In John chapter 15, verse 5, He says, apart from Me, you can do not much. No, He says nothing. Nothing. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. God helps us so much, so often, that we can easily forget this. Yet it's precisely when we do not remember this, brothers and sisters, that we set ourselves up to start going astray in our spiritual lives. You and I can begin to think that because the Lord has enabled us to grow in grace, because we're further along the road today than we were last year, that we no longer have to give ourselves to the ordinary means of grace that God has prescribed for our spiritual growth. You can fall into the temptation of thinking that you've figured out how the Christian life works. And you just carved out a little pathway and have stayed on that pathway when if you were to stop and evaluate, you'd realize that pathway is not consistent with what God has prescribed for my growth, for my spiritual health. You ought to ask yourself these questions honestly. Ask them and answer them in your own heart and mind. Do I really believe that I need to read the Bible consistently, carefully? Do I believe that I need God's word coming into my life regularly with an understanding? Do I have a deep sense of my need to submit to Christ as a member of a Bible-believing church? Or have I just kind of figured out, well, no, I mean, you know, the churches are for other people that maybe aren't as strong as I am. But I figured out how to follow Jesus apart from the way that he's prescribed. Do I genuinely think that I need to be in regular Bible study under the regular ministry and teaching of God's Word? Do I believe that gathering with the church on the Lord's Day is vital to my spiritual health? Or is it enough that when it's not inconvenient, I'll gather? Do I really believe that I need the Lord's Supper? That when Jesus said, do this, that I should take it to heart? Or have I figured out a way to just go on living apart from heeding that simple admonition of the Lord? Do I really understand that I need God to direct every step that I take? Every decision that I make in order to keep me from making a disaster of my life? You see, we really are weak. That is the undeniable consequence of sin. Paul has already mentioned our weakness because of sin in chapter 5, verse 6 of this letter, when he says, for while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. The reason that many people refuse to come to Christ, refuse to trust the Lord Jesus, is because they really don't think they need a Savior. They really haven't felt the weightiness of their situation. They really don't think they're weak in this sense. They, they think they're okay with God or they know how to 
make themselves okay with God. And maybe it's not the way the Bible says, but I've kind of got this way that I've arranged. And so I feel okay about God and I'm just trusting he feels okay about me. Well, if that's the way that you've been living, that's the way you've been thinking. Friend, I, I want you to stop and consider the scripture and recognize that no, sin has left you incapacitated to make yourself right with God. And if you keep trying, you keep thinking that one day somehow it's just going to work out, then you will come to that day of judgment when you stand before God and you'll discover in that instant what a fool you've been and how you have neglected what God has provided for sinners just like you in His Son. And what you desperately need and what you will desperately wish you had in that moment is available to you right now. There's a Savior. Jesus Christ has come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. He has come to those who are helpless. He has come so that you and I, people like us, might have our sins forgiven, might be reconciled to our Creator, and might be established in a relationship with God who forgives us all of our sins for Christ's sake. And if you'll trust Him now, right now, this very moment, He will save you. He will establish His kingdom in your heart and mind. He will give you new life. And He will provide for you all that you need for time and eternity. Brothers and sisters, it is marvelously true that once we become Christians, that we are given new life. We are made strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. But we must never forget that it is His strength. It is His might that works in us. Left to ourselves, we're still weak. Left to ourselves, we have no hope. We are as dependent upon God's grace and God's strength working in us at the end of our lives as when we first came to trust Christ. Failure to believe and remember this will set you up to be spiritually stunted at best. And tragically, could lead you to spiritual shipwreck. But by remembering your weakness and leaning into the strength that God alone can give and the power that He provides for His people, oh, that'll lead you to expect great things and attempt great things in His power. Expect great things. Attempt great things. That was the theme of a sermon that William Carey preached in 1792 in England. As he and a few other friends had been meeting for eight years, praying once a month that God would pour out His Spirit and revive the work of the Gospel and send the Gospel around the world. In that deathless sermon, God did stir up His people there in England. And the next year, they sent William Carey to India, where he spent the last 40 years of his life bringing the gospel to those that had never heard the name of Jesus. If you know anything about Carey's life, you know that he overcame incredible difficulties, trials, obstacles. He persevered through the death of a five-year-old son to dysentery. His wife, who went with him, went mad, went insane. And she ultimately died. And he married another woman who also died. He suffered with a fever his whole time 
in India. He, he was injured and walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Yet William Carey translated the Bible, the complete Bible, into six languages that didn't have it before. And portions of the Bible into 25 other different languages. He spent 25 years advocating for the abolition of the Indian rite called sati, which required when a man died leaving his widow that the funeral pyre on which his body was burned was to become her deathbed. So she was burned alive with him. He spent decades working to overcome child sacrifice practices in India. He worked against official illiteracy for women. He brought the steam engine to India. He helped to produce entrepreneurs that would engage in various businesses throughout that continent. He translated books making ancient wisdom available to the people there. William Carey did incredible things throughout his life in India. But you know what's written on his tombstone? As he came to the end of his life, he insisted that these words, only these words, be on his tombstone. William Carey, born August 17th, 1761, died June 9th, 1834. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. A helpless worm? Really? <laughs> I mean, Carey did more in his life than any other man typically could do if he had 50 lives. And yet Carey was aware of where the power comes from. He was aware that it wasn't his own strength. He indeed saw himself the way the Bible tells us we are. Weak. Helpless. Apart from Christ. We can't do anything. God provides what we need. God gives us strength through His Spirit who helps us in our weakness. While in our own strength, Christians are weak in all ways, Paul zeroes in on our weakness specifically in prayer when he says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So we need to think of ourselves not only as weak, but also as ignorant. I have to confess that this section of the children's catechism was always my favorite when my kids were growing up and we were teaching them because you ask them, you know, about the prophet, priest, and king and why they need Christ in that way. And some of my kids are smiling even now in memory because when it comes to Christ as prophet, you say, why do you need Christ as a prophet? And the answer that they have to give is because I am ignorant. And, uh, there was just something healthy about hearing children say that they're ignorant. And there's something healthy about adults acknowledging it too, Right. We're ignorant, left to ourselves. We can't figure things out. We don't know what to pray for. We should, but we don't. Why not? Why does Paul say, as we ought? Because the limitation in prayer is part of the weakness we have due to sin. And this is true of every Christian. When Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, He's not saying that we don't know what to pray about. 
I mean, Scripture instructs us to pray about everything. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul puts it like this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The point that he's making here in our text is that we often do not know exactly what God what to ask God for in any given situation. I mean, every true Christian wants God's will to be done. And so we do pray as we've been taught to pray, as Jesus modeled for us to pray, Lord, your will be done. But we cannot know what the secret will of God is in any situation. So what do you do when you're sick or your loved one's sick? I mean, do you pray for healing and do you, do you have faith that, yes, God is going to heal in this situation? Or do you pray for grace to endure the sickness and to glorify God and to experience the provisions of God in the sickness and, if necessary, grace to die? What do you do when you desire a better job? Do you pray, God, give me this job? I've applied for it. It fits me. I see so many ways this would be great. Do you just plead with God? Or do you have faith that God's going to give you that job? Or do you pray that God would give you the grace and the strength to persevere in the job that you currently have? You're single and you want to be married. You pray, God, give me a spouse. Lead me to someone that I can be married to and glorify you together as husband and wife. Or do you pray? God, give me contentedness in not being married. You want children. Do you pray, God, give us children. We love Jesus. They would grow up in a home that loves Jesus. Or do you pray, God, help us to trust you, to be content if you don't give us children? Or if you're thinking about making a move, relocating. You pray, God, open up that door and we have faith you're going to lead us to move in a different place. Or do you pray, God, give us the grace and the strength to be content right where we are, to be satisfied. Now listen, none of those things I've just illustrated are bad things. None of them are wrong for you to pray. You ought to pray that way. Some of them are really good things that the Bible speaks of as blessings and we ought to desire them. That's not the point. The point is, as we pray for those things, we can't be sure that this is exactly what God has determined from before the foundation to do for us. Why? Because we're ignorant. Because we're weak. The reality is, we simply sometimes don't know what is best for us and what's most glorifying to God. The Apostle Paul experienced this very thing. He tells us about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He writes there in verse 7 that a thorn was given to him in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is, but he says it's a messenger from Satan to harass me, he writes, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now that's an apostle praying to God about a messenger from Satan something that is detrimental to his life, something that he wished he could be free from, something that I'm sure he envisioned he could serve the Lord so much better if it were not in his life. 
Three times. Specific times. Paul must have had in mind, I'm going to give myself for this season of my life to pray that God will take this thing away from me. Was he wrong to pray that way? No. No. First time, nothing happens. Second time, nothing happens. Third time, the answer is still no. What did Paul come to learn? Well, he tells us. He says, I prayed, take this from me. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are weak. We just need to admit it in our prayers. We don't know the secret mind of God as to what would be most glorifying to him and best for us. Paul prayed, take this for me. It was a right prayer. Nothing wrong with that prayer. Paul learned in his weakness, he was not praying for the right thing. No sin on his part. Just weakness. He didn't have the mind of God revealed to him in that way. Until afterwards, he looked back, God spoke to him, and he says, oh, you're going to keep me with this messenger of Satan. This thing's going to bother me until I die so that I can prove that your grace is enough, so that your power can be perfected in my weakness. When I see that, okay, then hey, I am willing to be weak. Why? Because when you're thinking this way, when you're weak, you're really strong. Sin keeps us from praying for the things that we ought to pray for, we would pray for, if we were not affected by sin. Sinclair Ferguson comments on this reality. He says, this is a portrayal of the absolute and total weakness of the believer. A weakness too weak to express his or her need coherently. Well, we are weak in our prayers, but you know, God doesn't upbraid us. God doesn't rebuke us for this weakness. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't get impatient with us. Rather, what does he do? He helps us. He helps us. How? By the ministry of his spirit in us. In the last part of verse 26, Paul tells us how the spirit helps us. He does it by interceding for us. Look at verse 26 when He writes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for us. He pleads for us. He makes an appeal on our behalf before God. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible very much or the New Testament, you you know that having an advocate, having an intercessor for Christians is not something that's Unfamiliar. Jesus is called the intercessor for Christians. Paul's going to make that very point just a few verses below our text. Look at verse 34 of Romans 8. He says, Jesus is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. In Hebrews 7.25, the author says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So we have an intercessor in heaven. 
Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father. Brother and sister, one of the things he's doing at the right hand of God the Father is interceding for you. He is taking your case before God. He is pleading the basis of his life, his death, his resurrection in your behalf. That is an amazing thought, an amazing gift. But add to that what this text tells us is that we have another intercessor. Not only the Son of God in heaven, we have an intercessor by way of the Spirit of God on earth, in us. The Son interceding for us in heaven, the Spirit residing in us, helping us in our own praying by interceding for us. Well, how does He do this? How does He do it? By wordless groanings. That's what that phrase means with groanings too deep for words. Literally, groaning without words. Well, now, who does the groaning here? Who's Paul talking about groaning? Is it us, Christians, or is it the Spirit? Well, the simplest reading says the Spirit is the one who groans. But we shouldn't think of this in a literal sense, but rather in a metaphorical sense. So it's not the Spirit groaning audibly as we groan, but as Paul writes about creation earlier, groaning as in birth pangs. He's speaking metaphorically, and here he's speaking the same way about the Spirit. But it's the Spirit who works in us, who takes our groanings and offers them up to God. I like the way that Tom Schreiner sorts this out. He says that the Spirit's groaning is expressed through the groaning of believers. Sometimes in prayer, words just fail us. We want to pray aright. We want to pray for God's glory and delight ourselves in the thought of that glory being manifested. We want whatever God determines to be best. But because of our creatureliness and our sinfulness, we simply don't always know what that is. Brothers and sisters, have you ever found yourself in that situation in prayer? Your heart is heavy. You're burdened about a specific issue. You're pleading with the Lord, but at points you don't know what to say. And all you can do is groan. Maybe not audibly, but in your heart and your mind, all you can do is just sigh. You can feel helpless at such times. Like you really aren't praying at all. Because you simply can't articulate what you want to say. Well, this text teaches us that in such situations, in such times of our weakness, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us in and through those inward groans. He takes what we cannot express in our prayers. He fixes it, and then He causes those prayers to go up in a right way to heaven. Not only that, But in such situations, the Spirit always intercedes for us, according to verse 27, according to the will of God. According to the will of God. You see, the Father, God the Father and God the Spirit are in full agreement. God the Father searches the hearts. He searches our hearts. He knows us. He understands what we would like to say in prayer if we could, if we weren't so weak. And He knows what the mind of the Spirit is, Paul says. Of course he does, because the Spirit and the Father, together with the Son, are one. So the Spirit always intercedes for us 
according to the will of God. He always knows what's best for us, what's most glorifying to God. And he never prays amiss. He always knows what we should pray for and what we would pray for if we weren't so weak. Well, this is an incredible encouragement for Christians. An encouragement for us to indeed pray. Because of the Spirit's intercession for us in prayer, we can be sure that God will always give us in prayer what we ask for or what we should have asked for. We can pray knowing that God will, be, will cause His will to be fulfilled. And He will do this in our lives despite our weakness, despite the fact we don't even fully know what to pray for. God's purpose for our lives and the lives of other people will not be overthrown because of our weakness. In it, it is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled through the intercessions of the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. So God will always say yes to the Spirit's intercessions because those intercessions are always according to God's will. When we stop and think as Christians, isn't that the greatest desire of our hearts? I mean, don't we want God's will to be done? I mean, don't we, haven't we already learned enough from him and how he's provided for us that we trust him implicitly? And so whatever he ordains, we know is going to be right. It's going to be good for us. It's going to be glorifying for his kingdom. Well, the Spirit works in us to guarantee that those desires will be fulfilled. They'll be fulfilled by His helping us in our weakness with wordless groanings. So, brothers and sisters, be encouraged to pray. And press on in your responsibilities as you do so. Seek to live for the honor of your Lord. Assured that as you do so, you're not left to your own resources. God's Spirit helps you. In your weakness, he helps you in your prayers by interceding on your behalf. You're not expected to know God's hidden will in any given situation. And as you face life decisions, as you cry out to God to change a situation, as you plead with him to intervene and you wonder if he's listening, or maybe you wonder if you're praying as you should, and when you feel like maybe you're not even praying at all because words fail you, Remember this, the spirit who is in you understands your feeble attempts and he is making intercession in your behalf with wordless groanings that you can be sure will be answered because he is praying for you exactly in accordance with the will of God. So let's be committed to be people of prayer. And let's be encouraged to recognize that when you finish praying to the Lord and you can't even think of one thing that came out right in your expressions, not to be discouraged by that because we have an intercessor who in us is taking our prayers to God, fixing them in exactly the right way that God will indeed answer them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your ways with us and for your spirit who lives in us, who intercedes for us with 
groanings that cannot be expressed. We desire to grow in our confidence as we seek you and cast our cares upon you as we look to you for guidance. And I pray that your spirit would even now come and seal to our hearts the truth from your word so that we will pray with confidence knowing that you will grant every one of our prayers, everything that we ask for or that we should have asked for, that we would have asked for if we were not still in weakness because of sin. Have your way with us, O God. Strengthen and shape us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.